0: Welcome to the Math of You, a podcast about formative media from when we were young. I'm Lucas Brown. On this, our seventy-first episode, I'll be talking to Kit Mulkerrin, co-host of the Smash Fiction podcast and Zookeeper, about Animorphs and Soul Caliber. Along the way, we discuss taking the power of New Jersey into yourself, the superpower of being famous, and the realities of a Fallout Boy mosh pit. We'll finish the show with our signature cocktail and let you know how you can become a guest on the Math of You. We join this conversation already in progress.
1: I think I got too many in
0: the way of me. I'm about to go All right, kid. so for those who may not know you, why don't you say who you are and what makes you a beautiful and unique snowflake?
1: Oh, God, it's happening to me. (laughs) I've I've seen it happen to so many before me and how they've fallen, but now I'm not ready. Okay, I wouldn't say it's unique, but a rare aspect of myself is that I am a first-generation American. My parents are both immigrants who both came from... Two countries that are probably about as far away from each other as possible. And they met in Los Angeles and made me. So <laughs> I think that's like my the first way that I identify as my, my nice cultural confusion. Other than that, I am a podcaster and a zookeeper and someone with way too many hobbies.
0: See, somehow I missed in all of our conversations that you're an actual zookeeper.
1: It's kind of recent. I think I started actually getting paid for it in like September. I was just (laughs) volunteering for like a year before that.
0: That's awesome. So what kind of park do you work at?
1: Okay, so it's not actually like a zoo-zoo. It is more of a science museum type place, but they do have animals there and I am part of the terrestrial keepers. Awesome.
0: I always think of like my gold standard for this kind of stuff is at Toronto Zoo here in Sydney. They have uh, owl shows where basically if you are a very good keeper and you've been there long enough and you're trustworthy, you get to be the one to like raise your gauntlet and have like a barking owl fly to you and yeah. like a light upon your glove and terrify everyone between you and the person who's up and loose.
1: My current career goals is to work with birds of prey. I've worked with oh, lots yes. of birds, but oh, birds of prey, not yet.
0: Ah, okay. Now, now we're going to get really specific. Right, are you a falcon person? Are you a vulture person? Eagle person? Where do you, where do you fall on this?
1: Oh, hmm. kind of like all of them. I currently work with a vulture. Oh, really? Yes. He's a turkey vulture. He's very, very, very skittish, though. He, he's not as cool as his uh, roommates, which are two roadrunners who just light up my life. They are such fantastic sweet birds.
0: I'm just picturing this turkey vulture as being the equivalent of, like, Spider Jerusalem on drugs and just being like, I don't trust any of you dumb
1: fuckers." <laughs> Basically. <laughs> poor thing he got a wing injury back when he was out in the wild yeah but he got rehabilitated but he couldn't be released because the wing you know his shoulder is damaged too badly so he got sent to us and he's been with us for years but he's never been comfortable around humans if we move just a little too quick he'll like launch himself into the air (laughs) so we try not to spook him
0: i've just looked at the turkey butcher to be sure but wow that's a fantastic wingspan sorry this is heavily distracting yeah i look them up to be like i think i know what they look like oh yes i do and then there's like a Just this fantastic like backlit photo of a wingspan and I'm just like, huh, I'm distracted (laughs) because I can't remember if we talked about this on Twitter or not, but I recently got to see a California condor (gasps) in captivity, which is about the only place you're gonna see them. Yes. I mean we talked in the pre-show about, you know, being wildlife kids, and I was always fascinated with condors and never thought I would get to see one. And I saw him and he looked kinda like a coat that someone had left (laughs) on a rack. Because he, he was just kind of sleeping. And I'm like, oh my god.
1: Oh, they're so good.
0: You know, just looking at this thing. And then out of nowhere, he sort of flicked his wings and coasted from where he was across to the other side of the, of the enclosure to where he could get a drink. And in that moment, like full wingspan for a second. And I snapped a, an extremely blurry picture. But like it's like a moment I will like, keep with me for a long time.
1: Oh, yeah, they're just stunning animals and a great example of how zoos help bring animals back from the brink of extinction.
0: There you go. There's your turkey vulture, by the way.
1: Ah, uh, yes. Yes, that's that's him.
0: <laughs> I was going to say, you can see why that picture distracted me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think I actually have that exact photo saved onto my computer.
0: <laughs> oh, that's
1: nice. I really, I just really love their wings. I think vultures have one of my like favorite wing types of all birds. They just have a good wing shape. I don't know how to explain it. Also, they're one of the cuter vultures because they actually have feathers on their neck. So they just have a cute okay. little bald head.
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> I saw in the picture, this, their head looks black as far as I can see. Or does it have that reddish tone like a lot of vultures do?
1: Oh, it's a—it's like a pinkish skin, as far oh, as okay. as far as my guy goes. <laughs> there might be some variation.
0: Maybe it's been a dirty one in the well. It <laughs> could be. You just happened to hit on just like the Louise Guzman of vultures in that picture. See, now I'm just distracted. We're just going to talk about it for a while. Okay,
1: well, wait, I, I don't even think I answered the question.
0: No, you were um, going to, you are meant to plug your stuff. Go plug your stuff.
1: Oh, you asked me what type of bird of prey I love the most. Oh, right? yes.
0: Yes, that was where I was going. Oh,
1: yeah. I don't know. I've always loved hawks, especially red-tailed hawks, but that's because of anamorphs.
0: Mm-hmm. Which we'll get to. Yes. <laughs>
1: I mean, if that's not a cycle, I don't know what is, but <laughs> I'll let you lead.
0: The reason i asked is because I think when you're a kid, especially, you get a lot of preconceived notions about certain birds, just either from the way they look or the way they act or how they're portrayed in media. I remember a big formative thing for me was reading The Sword in the Stone, and there's a whole scene set in, like, a falconry—what's uh, the word? Shit. The word for where you keep falcons. God, it's so uh... it. It's driving nuts.
1: I mean, you could have said falcon, No, not falconry. <laughs> the
0: shed where they have the falcon. I'm sure there's a word for it, and there are medieval scholars who listen to this who are pounding their computer right now.
1: It's the falcon shed, totally. There you go.
0: Where Hobbs' Ark lives.
1: <laughs> Don't bother adding us. It's the falcon shed.
0: Where they talk about, you know, they have a kestrel, and they have a jeer falcon, and they have a goshawk, and they have a prairigan, and all these others. And the idea of the medieval views of these things that, you know, your kestrel is your priest. And your Perrigan is your queenly duchess type. <laughs> like all of these personalities. And it led me to like read into actual falconry when I was a kid. And just how temperamental some of those little bastards are. Yeah, dude. Also, if you haven't already, I recommend listeners and Kit go and listen to or read H's for Hawk by Helen McDonough. It's fantastic
1: ages for hawk
0: yeah it's a woman who basically decides to raise a goshawk after her father dies and it's part of how she like comes to terms with uh, it's a true story that comes to terms with the death of her father as well as doing research on th white who wrote the once and future king and the sword in the stone and stuff huh. and it's like parallel stories of her research into white and to her training this goshawk movie i think she names mabel because it's a very particular thing If you name your hawk Like a fancy name Again, like Duchess She will get a big head So you have to name her something silly
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's adorable Oh gosh, what silly name Would you give a hawk?
0: I don't know I think Bob Like straight off Like mm-hmm. I don't know why Whenever I need to come up with a name Not just Bob But a particular like Dan McRoyed accented uh, Hey Bob
1: <laughs> I think I'd go with Shmooples Shmooples Shmooples, shmooples. Yeah.
0: shmooples Kill to the hunt <laughs>
1: It's perfect. <laughs> this it
0: totally works. I was confirmed in my use of Bob for something by Titan A.E. Where, if you remember, uh, Matt Damon's character names an entire planet Bob.
1: Oh my God! It's been so long since I saw that movie. It's oh thing
0: It's such a good movie. It's super dated. It is. <laughs> I, I saw good... it so
1: many times when I was like, I think in high school. For some reason, my teachers kept playing that one. <laughs> but it was so cute. good.
0: That was the first soundtrack album to woo me away from piracy because I was in my first year of university in the dorms and I had no money. But Napster sort of had just become a thing, so I would pirate all my music. Then I like watched that and I really loved the soundtrack with like electricity and lit and god knows what else then it was like okay I I can't find that anywhere online I can find the lit song everyone knows the lit song but I can't find the rest so I had to go to HMV and buy it for $26 and I was like so hurt
1: oh that's brutal
0: brutal but I wanted it so bad I (laughs) need to hear that cosmic castaway song
1: worth then worth I mean what's $26 in in the grander scheme of things
0: in 2000 money
1: <laughs> oh yeah! Ooh.
0: I forget how we how we go. How do we get out of the Titan A? I can't even remember. <laughs> oh yes, calling a planet Bob because he's like spoiler alert for Titan AE, They make a new Earth at the end. Like he's sitting there with Drew Barrymore's purple haired Asian character, which hmm.
1: yeah, yep, that's my girl.
0: And she's like, "It's your new planet. What are you gonna call it?" And he's like, "I think I'm gonna call it Bob." She's like, "You can't name a planet Bob." He's like, "Why not? It's my planet. Like you're the king of Bob." <laughs>
1: I really like the, was it like the badass female alien oh, that had the yeah, crazy yeah. legs?
0: With the big kangaroo legs, yeah. like she was straight out of Tank Girl.
1: Yeah, she was like that, that's a pretty interesting alien design, at least from yeah. the, the waist down. But man,
0: Voiced by uh, an incredibly angry Janine Garofalo, <laughs> who just sounded like, like again, I'm sure it was part of the character, but it just sounded like every line. She's like, oh, God, I have to be here again. God, I hate you people. <laughs>
1: That's my type of female character. I, I found that that's my taste recently.
0: What tough women who have no time for your shit?
1: Yes, Dan and I have recently started watching Brooklyn Nine Nine, and I am in Rosa.
0: Love.
1: Yes, <laughs> uh, every time she's on screen, like my eyes are just fixed on her. My angry woman goals. <laughs> Though I think I need to tone down my angry womanness at least on Smash Fiction.
0: Incorrect. <laughs>
1: I'm glad to think so. I think it's a little much when it's like being directed at you. I'm trying to be, <laughs> trying to think of the hosts here, but I don't know. Some hosts get my ire on some matches.
0: <laughs> Although, now that we've mentioned Smash Fiction, we can say once again what it is. Listeners might remember from all the previous Mulcarens who have infested this podcast and One Miles <laughs> Schneiderman, Smash Fiction is a podcast where two or more fictional characters are pitted against one another in a scenario. It's not always a fight, but it's sometimes a fight. And it's better it's- when
1: it's not a fight.
0: It's actually better, yeah, 100%.
1: We love our goofy shit.
0: And I gotta say, I have never picked an outcome and I have never been happy with an outcome.
1: Oh, really? I'm sorry.
0: Ugh, <laughs> uh, you know, in the best possible way, where the judge will come down and make a ruling and go, okay, I'm gonna have to go with this. And I will go, Mother,
1: what? How could you? No! Every single time you've listened, it has not gone your way.
0: Yeah, to the point of, like, I even listened to the Dracula's one. While I had to concede that it was the logical choice, I didn't feel it was the right choice on the strength of the arguments.
1: I don't know, man. (laughs) I'm the judge on that one, so I'm gonna have to say you're wrong. (laughs)
0: <laughs> completely fine and valid choice. And again, I said it on Miles' episode, I said it on Dan's episode, and I'm going to say it to you. I want to get an episode where I can get Jeff and Jane Blue from Undercover Blues, 1993's spy comedy, versus Mr. and Mrs. Smith because I want to watch the Blues family destroy Brad Pitt and and <laughs> <laughs>
1: We gotta make that happen. Well, we gotta yeah, have you back in general.
0: Yeah, yeah, although my day job makes it extremely difficult.
1: <laughs> oh, you're right, yeah, because we usually record in the evening, and that's like 20 years in the future in Australia or some shit, right?
0: Yep, it is currently 10 minutes to 8 in the morning in Australia on Sunday, so.
1: Yeah, it is 1 o'clock p.m. in California.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, kid, where else did you grow up?
1: I grew up just in Los Angeles, specifically around Hollywood. I lived there for, I want to say, 19 years until I moved to New Mexico to be with Dan, who was only my boyfriend at the time. So that was kind of a risky move. But hey, it worked out.
0: Consigning yourself to a life of prog rock and Transformers tapes.
1: <laughs> you know, he introduced me to a lot of geek media that I like the quintessential geek media. Like I hadn't seen the original Star Wars yet. I hadn't seen back to the future or indiana jones oh wait jones. so it was
0: that kind of relationship okay yeah okay.
1: yeah i was into my own corner of geek stuff mainly like anime and such he was the much more standard geek pop culture
0: <laughs> the basic bitch of the relationship
1: the- <laughs> i didn't say it dan this time i didn't say it
0: that's right you heard it here first carnegie hall alumnus daniel karen thou art a basic bitch <laughs> Oh
1: man! <laughs> but anyway
0: you were talking about growing up in california
1: well, after New Mexico, we moved to New Jersey for a while because Dan was going to school in New York. I think that's where I got my feistiness from, New Jersey. I was quite the shy pushover before then.
0: So was this feistiness gained through taking on the powers of New Jersey unto yourself, or was this to fight against New Jersey?
1: I think it was kind of an like an absorption, but probably <laughs> a slight defense mechanism as well. The culture is very different from California. People just don't give a shit, and they ain't going to pretend like they give a shit either. <laughs> At least Californians oh. pretend to care but now I'm glad I, I, uh, I toughened up but now I think I have to swing back in the other direction <laughs> like I...
0: whenever you go back to California you land like an atom bomb and just like <laughs> blasting people away in your wake
1: at least on the show so yeah once again I feel like I need to find a sweet medium between feisty and sweet <laughs>
0: It's funny that you mentioned that because I recently had a bureaucratic nightmare in the Canadian consulate as I went to get my passport renewed. And what I found is that because the consulates are always staffed by people from the home country. So there was a a very nice, very polite uh, French Canadian woman who helped me out. Uh, And what I found is that after 15 years of being in Australia... At one point, there was like the third little, oh, well, you've put this here. This actually needs to be something else. And you need to leave and go get it fixed. And I let maybe 10% of how I was feeling into my voice. (laughs) Just 10%. Where I said something to the effect of, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not driving back to this place to get this signed because they said they wouldn't do it. I'm here now. Why can't we do this now? And I saw her like physically (laughs) recoil. From this open display of frustration and anger, and I went, "Oh right, she's Canadian. Is this what I used to be like?"
1: <laughs> so, like, the stereotype is true. Canadians are super polite and sweet.
0: Well, here's, here's the thing: it's a generalization, so it's not true. So you're gonna find your outliers. But what mm-hmm. you'll find is that, and again, this this is kind of a blanket statement. Your average Canadian, in especially in a job, like in a day to day interaction will kind of go out of their way to avoid confrontation. I'm mm-hmm. like this, too. If something is happening, it's like it will be uncomfortable for both of us if there is a confrontation, so we will do as many sidesteps as we can. Like, it's the, oh, okay, so, oh, no, it's all right. No, it was it was me. Go ahead. And are you sure? No, I could do this. I could. Um, you sure it's all right? Okay, great, great, mm-hmm. great. Like, it's the trying to avoid being the jerk who inconveniences somebody.
1: Right. That's great.
0: Yeah. And so there's that. But what that also means is that, and, and again, this, maybe this is 15 years in Australia and 10 years working in customer service, hey, hey,
1: <laughs>
0: that has let me know when things go off the rails. I'm also, I'll say, a healthier person with my emotions now. I don't <laughs> repress as much. So when I tend to get angry, I mean, Kimiko remarked upon this when she first met me, it will be in this like short, sharp, like flash paper burst, and then it'll be gone and there'll be no problem.
1: Huh. Interesting.
0: So, hey, I watched my dad repress his emotions till he gave himself an ulcer. So, Oh, boy. Yeah, and actually as a therapy thing, he gained road rage as a, uh, a daily action <laughs> as recommended by his doctors and therapists wow. after he had his ulcer fixed because he would just, like, crush all that down inside and it would make things worse because his stomach would start churning acid. And so I would see him, like, get cut off in a parking lot and thump the wheel and go, Motherfucker! And then it'll be gone. <laughs> and it's like... It would terrify people in the car with him. He's like, no, 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 it's fine. I just, it's doctor's orders. I have to.
1: <laughs> I've never seen road rage written on a doctor's prescription slip, but I want to. Oh.
0: Hey, it was the 1980s. Historical records are sketchy around that time. <laughs> Although I do have a, a replica of a, an alcohol prescription pad that was from Prohibition Times.
1: Oh, Yeah
0: it's the good shit it's great it actually like has you specify the type and region of alcohol that you're prescribing
1: <laughs> oh that's so great ah uh, history
0: i have heard good things about medicinal
1: alcohol. oh really
0: <laughs> no <laughs>
1: <laughs> really <laughs> no, no, go on. Your story about Canada and how Canadians are it just reminds me of. Okay, so going back to Jersey briefly. Dan and I, when we would go see his extended family up in Connecticut, we would drive through New Jersey and New York and eventually get to Connecticut. And my God, instant, instant difference in personality that you could see at the toll booth takers. We would just drive up to these Connecticut toll booths and mm-hmm. all of a sudden, we got this warm, friendly hello. And we would we, and, <laughs> vastly different from New Jersey and New York toll like toll takers. They, they just don't even say anything to you other than like the number that you have to give them. Give them the monies and go. But no, Connecticut people, like just hi, how are you? This'll be it'll be this much. And Dan and I would drive away and just look at each other like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> is that what the outside world is like? Have we been in New Jersey too long?
0: You're not hurling abuse at me. You haven't hit me with a bottle. It's like, do we even know each other?
1: It's like we're, we are not this close. You don't have to say hello to me in a sweet voice.
0: At the end of 2016, Kim and I did this big kind of American tour. We went to St. Louis and Boston and Chicago and New York. Like watching the sort of the customer service change by the time we got to New York, because. <laughs> In, like, St. Louis, everyone's super nice to you, and so if someone is not, they stick out like a sore thumb, and you think, what's that guy's problem, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, occasionally you'll get just, like, a surly person taking your order, and you're just like, all right, (laughs) it's it's okay. And then watching that ratio slide to the other direction, (laughs) and then by the time you get to New York, and you get someone who's, like, real nice to you, and you're like, wow, are you just... Are you high right now? Are you okay? Yeah.
1: (laughs) Basically, Dan and I moved to New Jersey. We had to pick up some stuff from like a Target, which is like a supermarket kind of thing.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have those here too.
1: Okay. (laughs) And we were like the culture whiplash from absolutely no customer service whatsoever. And it was culture shock to go from New Mexico to New Jersey levels of customer service.
0: Well, I recently released Juliet Khan's bonus episode of when we talked back in November. And she's from Boston And so, when I can talk to her about how seemingly everyone who runs a shop or a food stall in Boston is like an NPC from a video game.
1: (laughs) How's that? that? I've only been in Boston once.
0: It's just like everyone is the hero of their own story, and they are then giving you a tiny window into that story through this interaction. Like, I'm. (laughs) At one point, I walked, like, I was walking to the corner store to get something when we were at our Airbnb. And on the way back, it's like I stand, and there's a very large man wearing a hard hat and one of those, like, high vis yellow vests. And he's sitting on the stoop, and he's looking down into a hole where there's another guy down in the hole in the sidewalk, like up to his ears, who is peeking back up at him and looking worried. And the only snippet of words I can say, I'm going to move away from the mic to do this. Look, you told me you wanted my help, but I'm giving you my help. So what I'm telling you is get out of the hole. <laughs> and it was just for a second, and I was passed, and I'm just like, this
1: is beautiful. Oh, oh, no. Walk back to them and press A. You have to hear the rest of this.
0: See, you got to go and find these washers. They're all over the
1: place. Oh, my God.
0: (laughs) So I'd collect the washers and bring it back, and he would give me, like, a magical pipe that would bestow healing when I hit someone with it. (laughs) My plus four adamant spanner.
1: (laughs) That's so great. My only experience with Boston is they don't believe pedestrians exist. If you're in your car, (laughs) fuck pedestrians. (laughs) So, so so that's America. <laughs> th-
0: this is going to be like the tangent show, I swear. <laughs> your fault, Kim. Okay. So growing up in initially in California, what sort of kid were you?
1: Oh, I was a very shy, I would say, I don't really know when I started being like what I would call a geeky kid. I loved art from, I want to say like middle school. That's when I started like drawing. But at some point in high school, I think that's when I fell into the geek crowd. I think I met just the right people who had like they weren't the preppy kids that I, that I, were always too good for me or whatever. They were just kind of the mm-hmm. the cool dudes who were playing like cards, and they were like willing to teach other people how to play cards. And I, by cards, I mean Yu-Gi-Oh. That's what I got into. Magic was didn't come until later.
0: Oh, see, so I was about to say which card game were you playing? Big two in the lunchroom? Were you playing euchre? But no, Yu-Gi-Oh. Go for it.
1: Yeah, you know what? I think I was probably watching Yu-Gi-Oh first, and then I saw people playing the card game, and I asked about it. So that's how I got into that. I want to ask you, Lucas. Sure. Do, in your high school experience, did the geek kids have like a place that they went during lunch to play? various geek games there was a couple
0: actually depending on because the thing is I, I did move around a lot and by the time i got to high school i was kind of a floater and i was in several different groups some kids would go to a certain stairwell some <laughs> kids would go to the yearbook office
1: oh very nice
0: some had a particular corner of the lunchroom there was like a landing at the top of the stairwell the big stairwell that headed down to like the front of the school where like there was like a coke machine and there was <laughs> uh-huh. a payphone because this was 1999 yes And there's sort of this area where it was kind of nothing. It was sort of a dead corner. There were no doors or anything. And they had kind of colonized that spot for themselves.
1: Oh, yeah, a vending machine. That's geek sustenance right there. (laughs) In my high school, there was actually a teacher who was super cool and let the geeks hang out there during lunch. And that room had a TV. So those geek boys would bring their consoles, whatever the current cool console was at the time, and like play a bunch of fighting games and then that's also where the card playing geeks would hang out it just wound up being the spot and that's where i got into all kinds of fighting games (laughs) all
0: right so this was something that you wanted to talk about so Mm -hmm. you had soul caliber on your list
1: yeah one of the few games that like one of the few fighting games that relies on combos if you're good at combos you can be good at this game that i found that i didn't have to memorize a bunch of combos to get good at this game it just became intuitive
0: yeah like i, I still can't do street fighter combos but there's I've something about soul Calibur combos that were intuitive
1: yes in a
0: way that the others weren't
1: that's what made me love that game also it's just a beautiful game
0: mm-hmm.
1: with pretty good music
0: it was also the first, like, because my, my experience with Soul Calibur was that occasionally if I like, had a lunch hour where other people were doing other things and I had nothing to do, I would go over in, this isn't in, usually in grade 11 or grade 12, I would go across to the Fredericton Mall, which had an arcade still, and I would put in a quarter and I would play Soul Calibur, and I would play as Kilik, and oh. because if you go away B, which is that Phoenix thrust, the computer doesn't know how to counter that, and <laughs> you can basically on one quarter work your way to the end of the game. Wow. wow. And it's the only game I've ever beaten in the arcade. <laughs> yeah, and it was the first ever fighting game that I had seen where you fought with weapons. And also that all the weapons were different. Yeah, It wasn't just, oh, everyone has a sword and this is a sword fighting game. It's like you had, oh, Maxie had nunchucks and Gaelic had a staff. And Nightmare had whatever the fuck that is.
1: <laughs> like a the biggest broadsword ever.
0: <laughs> yeah, and Siegfried had that thing that he shouldn't be able to carry that he <laughs> nicked from Cloud. <laughs> And so yeah it was like it was all these interesting looking characters and because again I was playing it in the arcade I was getting no story so I was just like Looking at all these really intricate and interesting character designs that were so different from something like a Mortal Kombat or like a Street Fighter that I was used to playing.
1: I never even thought about that, that they don't have weapons, except for Vega, who's a fucking cheater with his claws. Yeah, yeah.
0: you can knock it off.
1: Oh, you're right. Okay, okay, cool. (laughs) But
0: but yeah, it's like none of those other games. And the thing is, I had for a while played Virtual Fighter to death on Sega Saturn because I loved that game because it, it seemed realistic as opposed to I'm not throwing fireballs and not levitating to spin upside down. I'm you know picking a guy up in a Northern Light suplex and dropping him on his head. Like that to me always felt more. Cause also, it was so quick and it was 3D, and you could do things like sidestep. So to get that chocolate with the peanut butter of the different designs of the weapons fighting was really just my jam for a while. Sorry, what you were saying?
1: <laughs> oh uh, no, I was just like, I just love that you called it realistic, considering that Siegfried <laughs> just swings his massive sword at of people and they don't instantly die.
0: <laughs> oh no, 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 not Soul Calibur is not realistic. Virtual Fighter was realistic.
1: Oh, okay, my bad. <laughs>
0: No, Soul Calibur is a non-Euclidean nightmare when it comes to physics.
1: (laughs) That was a fun thing to argue. In Smash Fiction, we had our beautiful sword boys and Siegfried was on there with like Cloud and Kenshin. And yeah, just there's something it's really weird arguing fighting game characters on that show because sometimes they they seem like they're much weaker than other, like, anime or other media characters. And and then at other times, like, look at the amount of times they're being hit with a bladed weapon and they're fine. Actually, yeah,
0: come to think of it because this is something I noticed with the recent Injustice games that came out, where it was crossovers with sort of superhero characters. And also, DC versus Mortal Kombat, you always have to have a story reason why your all-powerful DC super gods don't just make mincemeat out of someone like, you know, Liu Kang, who's a guy who can kick really Really well
1: yes it's
0: like why is superman not reducing this person to a red mist
1: well i never got why like characters like johnny cage could stand up to the rest of the mortal Kombat fudge
0: well because he's famous and fame is a superpower
1: <laughs> it's those fucking sunglasses
0: <laughs> 500 sunglasses asshole <laughs> but no you're talking about soul Calibur. so who is your character
1: oh i'm just gonna ask you that you beat me to it
0: i was always a key like person although my secondary character i think oh shit who was it oh it's from soul Calibur 4 I'm blanking it. It'll come back to me. Oh, it was ahead. like
1: one of those n- more new characters?
0: Yeah, there was one in particular. But anyway, I'm going to look it up. You tell me about your
1: character. Okay. Oh, yeah. Taki was my girl. I just, uh. well, I was already really into Japanese things. And so she was like a shinobi. She was a ninja. Kunoichi, if you will. I love characters that are really fast. Those are always the ones that I'm drawn to in fighting games. And mm-hmm. she also had a really, like, good, like, leg span. So she could, like, mm-hmm. kick the shit out of people if they were a little too far for her blades.
0: I think with fast characters, and I'm gonna try and find a way to say this that makes it sound nicer than I'm, I'm sure it is in my head.
1: Just be savage. I can take it.
0: Something about fast characters that makes you feel powerful and in control. Like when, yeah. like I, I remember this from playing Pi in Virtual Fighter, or sometimes when you're playing some of the Street Fighter characters, when you're a quick character and you start to hit someone and you really like, you know, start mashing those buttons, they just blow through that person, and there's no time for them to counterattack or anything, and you're just like, ba 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 ba, done
1: yep yep in super smash brothers Sheik mm-hmm. was my girl because of that
0: Ah, uh, yeah
1: go. in fact i developed a move that i <laughs> was kind of my like signature in a way mm-hmm. i loved to juggle people if someone was <laughs> in the air above me i would do her little jumping like like feet first at the person above her move where just like, just keeps shooting them back into the air so they just keep falling forever and getting shot up into the air. <laughs> Oh, it was so frustrating and I would I'd love when I would eventually make them go away Team Rocket style. <laughs>
0: They are blasting off again. Mm-hmm. Talking about those character types, I mean, oftentimes, like, you'd think that a big, strong character would have that kind of thing for a new player to be like, oh, I'm just gonna blast this fucker across the stream, this big dude, but they're often much slower, and so you have to learn that they have to take a few hits and how to, like, really set up their big moves. Like, no one picks Zangief as their first Street Fighter character.
1: No. <laughs> no. I mean, oh, eh. I mean, eh, maybe, maybe someone really loves the burly russian dudes he's russian right
0: he's extremely russian he's so <laughs> russian he <laughs> technically russia is zangief rather than zangief being russian and he fights bears for fun
1: oh man i'm part zangief then cool
0: <laughs> <laughs> remind me later to send you a picture of this place in bondi which is a, a russian deli there's just referred to as the ruski deli and they have a big sign outside that that will say i will sell you a fish as big as this it's like a propaganda poster with a man holding a giant fish over his head <laughs> one in each hand and I used to walk by it and go, one of these days I'm going to go in. And I went in, and everyone was really nice. And I got some amazing coleslaw to take home.
1: Coleslaw. Do they have uh, piroshki? Oh, you bet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you ever go to Seattle, there's a really amazing place called piroshki piroshki. And you. And <laughs> so wait,
0: wait, what do they make?
1: <laughs> um, I'm going to let you figure that out once you go in. <laughs> You will be drawn into that place like a cartoon hobo smelling pie (laughs) because those fucking piroshki.
0: There was a short-lived place in a new town where I used to live that was a Russian bakery and they would do like honey cakes and all the other things I couldn't pronounce. And it was fantastic, but then no one went there because they were put off by the Russian bakery name out of front because no one quite knew what it was. But they would do things like they would do savory crepes and they would do these lovely little things that were great when you were hungover.
1: And so, yes, I
0: miss them terribly.
1: I wonder if that's a Russian thing. After, all, all, the, after all the vodka. Just, maybe that's why it works out.
0: Kit, we were talking about Soul Caliber? Why are we talking about Russian
1: food? <laughs> we're very bad at staying on topic.
0: We really are.
1: Oh, okay. Soul Calibur. <laughs> the Russian people on that. I don't know. So you played as Taki. I played as Talkie. Also, she was super hot. <laughs> but, yeah, but besides that,
0: Do, to like that soul caliber level of ridiculousness in later games.
1: Ah, uh, yeah. You know what? I did not like the boob pockets of her outfit. The bounce
0: physics, game.
1: <laughs> it just didn't make sense. Why? Why is each boob like perfectly wrapped around, like wrapped up by the outfit? It's not how outfits work. Anyway, I also <laughs> really liked Talim. Talon is a lot of fun. She's so adorable. And yeah, her weapons are really cool. Tonfa, I think.
0: Another of those characters that when played right can be absolutely vicious, but in you know, a completely different way than Taki. Yes. Like
1: yes. you would go oh.
0: to attack her and she would just sort of not be there and be already hitting you.
1: Yeah. And, and she had this really strong, like weird punch thing that she would simultaneously do splits in the air when she hit you with that punch. And it was great.
0: <laughs> That's how strong the punch was. She yeah. just had to do the splits.
1: Yes. I did like Keelik as well, but I wasn't as good. I did not mm. figure out that one move that you figured out.
0: Now, Kilik is a, is a good starter character because from that one move, you can then start to, like, he has a couple of really good sidestep moves that, again, the computer falls for every time. Mm-hmm. And so you can, like, experiment a few times and then if you start to get beat, go back to that big move. Because what that big move will do is just, oh, again, a way in beat, it. it's very simple. He will sort of crouch back and as if he's ducking a punch and then, like, put his hand on the end of his staff. And they just completely pile drive us straight into their midsection, which immediately knocks them down. And with this weird kind of sound, which
1: is
0: very satisfying.
1: Your ability to remember things. You and Dan have such an amazing memory.
0: <laughs> I got laughed at by uh, Ali Stock when I visited on her podcast, where we talked about the movie Hackers. The thing is, I hadn't seen Hackers in like five years. And we just started going through it scene by scene. Just like, wait, how do you remember this? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs>
1: Is, I've never seen it. Is that the Hack the Planet movie?
0: It is indeed the Hack the Planet uh-huh. movie. It's terrible and amazing and wonderful.
1: Oh, man. The only reason I know about that is because Sombra makes a Hack the Planet reference, Sombra from Overwatch.
0: <laughs> so I feel
1: like I guess I should see that movie. Would you recommend seeing that movie?
0: Oh, yeah. It's it's deeply fun, and it is an incredible period piece at the moment, okay. because it was set in 1994 with up-to-the-date internet references.
1: Ah, uh, yes. Okay. I need to see it.
0: <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> also features a very young Matthew Lillard Matthew Lillard Up a Storm
1: What else has he been in?
0: He was Shaggy from Scooby-Doo
1: Oh shit, okay <laughs> He
0: was Stu from Scream, one of the killers He was, oh god, he was in the, that horrible Wing Commander movie Which I also know a lot about and really shouldn't <laughs> I know so much about that fucking Wing Commander movie
1: <laughs> Whenever I, I listen to your show, I'm just blown away I was like, gosh, they, like Lucas knows everything that the hosts, <laughs> that, like his guests are talking about
0: <laughs> Yeah, I don't research it's it's a curse. <laughs> <laughs> However, one thing that I do only have passing references of is I only know animorphs from like maybe five episodes of the TV series. Oh. I know Tobias is a hawk; they can turn into stuff. Ax shows up later and is like a Centauri dude. Mm-hmm. The bad guy is Visor Three, and that's about all I know. So, oh. what was your experience with animorphs?
1: Oh, I read the books. Like I actually knew. I don't know if the book series was done when the TV show came out. Um, I think it was
0: in progress. Okay,
1: yeah. There was yeah. enough for
0: them to do like a season, at least a season and a half before they had to start. Slowing
1: yeah, down. it's too bad that that didn't take off. But yeah, I read that as a book series. And it was great. I mean, for some kid who loved animals, what better story than teenagers who got alien powers that allow them to turn into any animal that they touched? Ah, <laughs> uh, the best. And and save the planet at the same time. Yeah, I mean, what would you like to know about Animorphs, Lucas?
0: We'll start at the beginning. Was it just something that you wandered into a library and found? Or you recommended them by a friend? Like, how did you get involved?
1: Oh, man. See, my memory is shit. Not like... (laughs) I don't remember how I discovered it, but I wouldn't be surprised if I saw those sweet-ass covers. Those famous Animorphs covers of, like... How would you explain the image? It's like a picture of a teen and then a picture of an animal, like, right next to the teen. And then, like, every step in between... The covers were always like a morph sequence.
0: So like Michael Jackson's black and white video.
1: Oh, God, yes.
0: <laughs> but with an animal and with all of the weird in-between parts that I'm sure certain aspects of the fandom really fixated on.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: There's a subreddit for that.
1: <laughs> oh, no, I don't know if I want to know. No, you don't. I don't know if this is like oh, oh. a... <laughs> So th- this is like beyond furry, this is just like a creepy Animorphs thing?
0: I would be blissfully unaware, but then I found, I was looking up X-Men stuff, and I found people very dedicated to the in-between form that Wolfsbane had.
1: Oh, oh god. Oh, okay, yeah. well, well, I think I'm gonna have to deal with this morbid curiosity later.
0: Taking a step back from that and go to what you were saying. <laughs>
1: So yes, I could have sworn it must have been that I like saw the covers and was intrigued and decided to read and then I just got hooked. I wasn't really into reading as a kid. I remember Animorphs and I remember Harry Potter and I'm sure I read some other stuff. But as far as series goes, those are my two big series.
0: And were there any particular characters they identified with?
1: Oh, gosh, Um, there was a girl named Cassie, I believe. And she was like the animal lover. I'm sure they all loved animals to a certain degree, but she was like the animal lover. So I really identified with her. I really liked Marco. I think that was his name. He was the Latino guy that was really funny. And I loved Axe because he's just the awkward alien who also looks like a blue centaur with a scorpion tail kind of situation.
0: Yeah, I remember seeing lots and lots of both Bissard 3 and Axe figures at my local Walmart in the toy aisle that no one wanted to buy.
1: Oh, so sad. It was such a good series. And yeah, Tobias, the tragic boy hawk story of how he stayed... (laughs) Oh, that
0: that old chestnut.
1: (laughs) Yes, he stayed in hawk form for a little over two hours, because they have to go back to human form before the two-hour mark, or else they get stuck as the animal that they've morphed as. And so he was stuck as a hawk forever. Though he somehow got access to the power that allowed all of them to shapeshift. And so he could eventually shapeshift into other animals.
0: He just always has to come back to the hawk.
1: Yes. The hawk was the main form from then on. It was kind of an interesting love story between him and one of the other teens, Rachel.
0: Again, a hawk love stories. I'm sure there is a subreddit. <laughs> hashtag transformation. Hashtag polylo- polymorph. Hashtag whatever else. I'm sorry I keep bringing it back to that, but it really just walks straight into it.
1: <laughs> no No I mean, I feel like we're probably at the age where we, it'll, it would be a little too hard to read, other than, I would, other than that, I would, I would totally recommend that you read it. So if Lucas from the Past could go back and read it, that would be great.
0: Lucas from the Past was one of those voracious readers. Like, I would get two or three books out of the library. And I remember those Animox books were pretty skinny, so I probably could have knocked through a bunch of them. Like I used to do Goosebumps books standing at the library shelf. Oh, wow. But of course, with Goosebumps, you can jump around and just go to the scare at the end of each chapter and then mm-hmm. see how that scare was then immediately neutered as you turned the page. So, yeah, I think it would have done okay. So, there was another series that you mentioned, Animorphs and Black. There was something else.
1: Oh, Animorphs and... Oh, Harry Potter. Harry oh, Potter Harry Potter, is my Potter jam. of course. Yeah. Harry Potter was everyone's jam. Or exactly. it should have been.
0: I was one of the people who I was slightly too... I think it was in, like... I was in grade 12 when Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire came out, and I had never heard of it. I just saw an article in the newspaper saying that oh, it's this really popular book, and it's coming out here. I'm like, oh, I've never heard of this thing. So I'm always interested for people who are a bit younger than me who had these texts as extremely formative stuff when they were, for example, the age of Harry and his friends during those books. So does that fit you in that kind of category?
1: I do not remember how old I was when I started reading it (laughs) because I don't remember anything.
0: I'm sensing a theme.
1: (laughs) But I do remember I was a kid of some kind, and I didn't want to read it. And my mom, she, you know, she was hearing about all the hype, and she wanted to get me to read more. She basically made me read this first book, and I did wind up getting hooked on it. So I'm actually grateful that she made me do that.
0: So for once, homework given to you by your mom is saying, you must read this. Yes. Like, actually did work out for the positive.
1: Yes, yes. One of the few times, like, <laughs> Uh, I'm not gonna let I was about to get into toxic parent stuff but let's not go there. But yeah. yes I, I'm glad she did that.
0: Oh good. So I'm featuring you as this kid who was very into anime and it was very into Animorphs which sounds the same but it's different. So I want to know when did Fall Out Boy crash into the picture?
1: <laughs> when Sugar Were Going Down hit the radio. I, I think <laughs> I was a senior in high school when Fall Out Boy blew up because of that single. And yeah they've that fucking band. Oh, by the way, super happy to hear that Chris Sims likes Fall Out Boy, if, if I remember that correctly. Just
0: I think, it, yeah, because Aiden, his partner, his wife now, it's like massive Fall Out Boy fan. Yes. There had to be negotiation as to which songs would go on the wedding.
1: <laughs> See, she's all right by me. Fall Out Boy was one of those bands that I loved them, but I was always like kind of afraid to tell people that I loved them because for some reason... I was surrounded by people who hated that band. Really? Yes. I know they're really popular, so I didn't get why like my friend groups were always just like so anti-Fall Boy. Maybe that's starting with like I feel like I got more of that once I moved to New Mexico and on. Dan's cliques were much more into like prog rock and like really really talented metal stuff and Fall Out Boy was just such trash for them. And Claire too would give me a really hard time. I put you on blast, Claire. Ooh. So- <laughs> giving me a really hard time for love and fall Out boy but i've gotten to that feisty stage where if someone wants to give me shit about it they can fucking fight me
0: they can come get these hands
1: yeah oh yeah oh they're gonna catch him whether they're ready or not this like I will, I will i'm not afraid to say that i love fallout boy anymore and their lyrics have always worked for whatever stage of my life I've been in. They started out super emo when I was a teenager. So perfect. And they've changed so much. Their newest album just dropped. And they're still like a great mixture of happy sounding songs, but with kind of darker lyrics <laughs> too. But they also have some happy lyrics with like a slightly darker edge. And I don't know, I, I really like the songs where life is like love and life isn't all happy, happy, happy all the time.
0: It's funny that you mentioned Fall Out Boy, but it's like, I feel like I've heard this a lot about My Chemical Romance uh, Mm. ahead of Fall Out Boy.
1: My second favorite band.
0: And I feel like Fall Out Boy is sort of that Ryu and Ken, coming back to that fighting game analogy, where it's (laughs) like, people will often like both, but one will be kind of, this is my one. So for you, that was Fall Out Boy?
1: Yes. Though I was super into MCR as well. Mm-hmm. I still am into them, but they stopped making music, so.
0: Gerard Way makes comics now. They're real good. He
1: does. If I, I wish I had more time to read comics. or I Read in general, honestly. But I, I really want to read his stuff. He sounds amazing. I'm glad he got to go back to doing what he originally loved. He quit comics for a while to start a band after 9-11, I believe.
0: Wait, didn't he already have a band?
1: So he was, his original life goal was to go into comic stuff. And then 9-11 happened and he felt like he wanted to do something more with his life. And I'm not sure how that wound up being, making a really popular... Kind of dark band but that's how he got into mcr for a while and then eventually got tired of the whole scene and decided to go back into comics and i feel like mcr probably really helped him take off his comic career because by then he was famous and that was an easy in right yeah
0: and and what often happens with you know you, you'll see famous comics creators who are fans and they will be like i'll step in and i'll write the story there are only two ways that can go there is the i'm sorry i love you dude but the cm punk run on drax which is really not good or occasionally once in a while, you get someone who really gets it. And I think the first time I read Umbrella Academy, mm-hmm. I was doing it like sort of on a lark just to be like, all right, let's see what he has to say and going, mm-hmm. "Oh my god, Gerard Way understands." Yeah. He knows so much about comics and understands the trappings of the genre and how to subvert that and also like had partnered himself with some really excellent artists and just turned out this fantastic little book that also had a sequel that had these weird time travely twisty things and then you find out that he really loved Grant Morrison comics and you go, "Oh, yeah. Yes, that makes total sense and now gerard way is writing freaking doom patrol
1: yeah dude i really do want to read his stuff oh, i'm so happy for him as someone God. who's been his fan for a long time
0: yeah it's just like one of those things where every once in a while you hear about this kind of story where it's like i want to do this thing i now have enough for lack of a better word you know enough money and privilege that i can say i want to do this thing and have that thing turn out well it's occasionally just like a nice thing to witness
1: yeah good for you gerard way you did it <laughs> you made it twice
0: You made it, and then you made it again, while also not completely leaving the other thing, but also, yeah.
1: I want a reunion tour. I never (laughs) got to see them live. I'm so sad.
0: Well, did you get to see Fall Out Boy live?
1: I did, twice. Once in Pittsburgh, which had the rowdiest, awful audience i've ever been a part of there was too many frat boys in there just say uh-huh. that again in new york which was a much better scene but fallout boy has an insane like mosh pit oh, really holy shit yes it comes from their punk roots Mm -hmm. But like, man, I need to go. I I do like being sort of in that pit area where you're surrounded by people and you're kind of being jostled a little bit. You're
0: feeling the push of the crowd a little bit. Yes.
1: I feel like that gives me more permission to like dance and just be a little rowdy myself, which I really enjoy. But I don't like constantly having to fight to stay standing and like dodging people who are trying to crowd surf. I just want to focus on the band a little bit. So I would have to bail. I kept having to go to the back and not enjoy it as much, though I'm still glad I got the experience. My
0: favorite mosh pit memory is we were at the Anningdale before it was renovated and turned into into a place that served nice burgers in the back. And you could play pinball and stuff. It was kind of one of those slaughterhouse live venues where everything was painted black so the stains didn't show. (laughs) And it would bring in, like, it was always this barn with a tiny bar in the corner. Now it's a large bar with a tiny... I was going to say a tiny barn, but no, a tiny stage in the corner. <laughs> I went to see a band called Zombie Ghost Train, which are a psychobilly band.
1: Oh, nice.
0: And they're a lot of fun. And their live show is super fun because they're just constantly chatting with the audience and just saying random stuff and being really funny. Also, they start out in like full Western suits. And slowly by the end of it, they're like just basically wearing just like pants with suspenders over their chest because like it gets so hot in those venues and they're going so hard. It's just like, like you watch the layers come off as the songs go.
1: That's awesome. Uh, Good cycle belly.
0: Yeah, I was very close in on one of the rougher mosh pits I've ever been in. Like the kind of place where they're not just throwing themselves, like the arms are windmilling in fists. And oh God. yeah, like proper oh like wrecking mosh pit. I was there with my friend Ted and he had brought his flatmate Jane who had gotten completely shitfaced before she turned up. And so we were kind of standing on either side of her so she didn't get knocked over. And she lost her footing and fell in. And I got to watch this mosh pit entirely stop. And it's one of these, like, giant punk dudes, like, reaches down and, like, picks her up and kind of stands her on her feet and sends her on her way. And then immediately smashes into the guy next to him with his shoulder.
1: Oh, you gotta love mosh pit courtesy.
0: Yeah, punk chivalry.
1: Yeah. Oh, man, that reminds me of one of my other favorite bands, which is Volbeat. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. No, I haven't. Oh, they are a Danish metal band that has a slight rockabilly feel to them. Okay. The main guy, the guy who's the singer, and I'm pretty sure he's like, he controls most of the band stuff. He's super into Johnny Cash and Elvis. So he's got that like, slight American country-ish feel to his metal. Just, you know what, just after this, just go listen to the album. Outlaw Gentlemen and Shady Ladies.
0: (laughs) It's a great title.
1: (laughs) Yep, yep. And just take that in. (laughs) See see how you feel about that. That's my favorite of their albums. It's not their most recent. I think it's the one before it, but oh yeah. (laughs) Especially if you like that kind of Billy feel.
0: I do. There is a thing, I think, where you see Americana, and especially like that country music rockabilly kind of Americana, as Mm -hmm. filtered through Europeans. Hmm. You get a very weird kind of diagonal slice through a culture where it's like like they'll pick off on stuff that Americans won't, but then they'll also, it's, it's kind of like, like almost like this, like they will latch onto a particular aspect and just like crank it up. One of my favorite bands for a while, like some people who just like continuously bring me joy, is a band called The Baseballs. Have you heard of them?
1: No, I have not.
0: They are a six-piece German rock and billy band with three singers.
1: Ooh, very good. And
0: all they do is covers of pop music.
1: Nice. Oh, again, are all the singers men?
0: Yeah, it's three men and they do harmony. Like, they're the doo-wop harmonies. (laughs) Oh, man. But then they'll do stuff like they'll do Rihanna's Umbrella. Uh Or they'll do Hot and Cold by Katy Perry as this, like, two-step swing number with a, with like piano and double bass and everything uh, and like i think the only video of theirs i've seen they took over the, uh, the department store window at like a big pedestrian mall in i think it was in denmark it was on one of their tours and they just took over and just started playing and like watching a crowd form and people start dancing and stuff that's so good but hang on i don't normally do this but i am going to drop a link in the chat so just click that and listen to the first little bit of it Okay, let's see. They make for great radio, and we cut most of this <laughs> out.
1: Oh, yeah, I'm liking it. Oh, they got the slick back hair. Yes. Oh,
0: proper good hair, these guys. Yeah, oh,
1: I love that look. That look needs to come back. That greasy look. Oh,
0: so good. oh my god, this is <laughs>
1: all. Like a bitch, i know. Gorgeous voices.
0: Yeah, it, it, I really love it because it's those really clean kind of fun harmonies. Like not not perfect, but just like that fun kind of like standing around a piano harmony.
1: Also, I love that I can feel a little bit of the accent. I love that, like this great sound oh my gosh the baseballs i'm gonna fucking look them up
0: yeah their first album is their best one it's called strike like you like you get in bowling or like you'd have in baseball i remember just like walking past a poster and it just said the baseballs strike and i saw that poster and i went i'm gonna download that album and i did and i have not regretted it second album is a little bit sketchy they had to reuse a couple of their kind of backing tracks to cover new things and some of them don't quite match like they did kesha's tiktok which doesn't quite work when they hit it hits really hard like they do chasing cars by snow patrol oh okay and i kind of love it a lot better than the original cuz they take like what is a sad song and make it like just like a little bit of a celebration even though it's yes. kind of a sad song
1: that's my shit that's why i like fall out boy when the lyrics are really sad but the music is happy it's the best oh
0: man this one guy
1: looks like cute jacket we do
0: everything never our we on wrong Well I said we don't need
1: Don't need anything or anyone or You know any if this one. was what the problem was like I would have gone to Absolutely <laughs> If I
0: just stay here. would
1: you like with me and just forget the I have no idea if my prom had a live band, but I did
0: <laughs> Mine did, but only for like three songs. And oh. they sucked. The rest of it was a DJ. Yeah, this whole idea of in so many fictional things where it's like, oh, we're the band that plays the prom. It's
1: like, who does that? Maybe it was bigger back in the day, or maybe it was just like the really rich schools? Maybe.
0: But yes, the baseball is and I'm always very happy to play them.
1: Man, this is so good. I, I love it. It's... <laughs> it hits all my fall-out boy feels. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and the one big thing that I always remember about the baseballs is a bonus track on one of their albums they do Roxette's The Look
1: I don't know that one
0: na 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 na, na she's got the look
1: oh shit okay I do yeah you know the
0: one. And <laughs> oh, I know it there is a YouTube video of them pulling that out live on their European tour and watching the mostly like Scandinavian and Northern European audience just like explode as they recognize <laughs> what song it was because that song was a mega hit over there
1: Oh, man, I think you just found me a new favorite band. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's I wonderful. mean, I've got a
1: list going and Fall Out Boy is always going to be at the top. I've, I've learned the past decade, but they're going to go on here. It's just great.
0: And I think that actually might be a good note for us to wrap up on. So, Kate, if people wanted to find your stuff on the Internet and wanted to stay on topic more than two or three sentences, where would they go?
1: <laughs> you should definitely look up. The smash fiction podcast i think lucas is was way better at describing it than i am but basically we're a comedy debate podcast where we take two or more fictional characters and pit them against each other often in wacky ways I think the example that Claire likes to use the most is there was one episode where we had Jareth, the Goblin King from Labyrinth versus Frankenfurter from Rocky Horror competing over the affections of Bella Swan. So it can really be any sort of competition from any type of media. And we love fan suggestions. So give us a listen.
0: Oh, and there's also Extraordinary League. Don't forget that.
1: Oh, my God. Right. We have we do too many things on the show. Now we also do an (laughs) actual play podcast.
0: Within the podcast.
1: It's a podcast and then a podcast, so just look up Smash Fiction you'll get Extraordinary League. Once a month, Dan, our wonderful best DM I've ever had, Dan, runs us through a crossover, crazy, giant universe game where we each play a different character from a different form of media. I play Stitch from Lilo and Stitch. Liz plays Dante from Devil May Cry. Claire plays, well, she played a few characters, but she mostly plays Morden from mass effect we've had sterling archer from archer we've had luna lovegood from harry potter just get in on that if you love actual plays i think we're pretty good
0: i'm gonna make a pretty good explanation that it's only gonna hit a very certain subset so it's like sliders but also exiles from marvel comics if it was the entirety of written fiction
1: oh that's such a good description
0: <laughs> and you recently started doing a new thing, which I am now forgetting the title of. It's Laboratory something.
1: Oh, Collaboratory. Yeah, Collaboratory.
0: That's, actually... that's it.
1: We realized we gave ourselves way too much work with the original Smash Fiction format. We should have really made that a- twice a month podcast but we made it an every week thing so now we're getting a little burnt out so instead we're only doing smash fiction like twice a month once a month we're doing League, and then on the other week we are doing we're we're kind of experimenting the last thing we did was collaboratory which it's, it's more claire's big idea and it worked out really well but we each come with a character that we don't tell anyone else about in advance and we present them all at the top of the show i picked well if you watch smash fiction you know who i picked but we took a bunch of i was so
0: funny <party. laughs>
1: i mean i had to i picked godzilla so basically we all come with a, a character from different media and we try to make like a 90s style movie using this book called save the cat which kind of outlines how you make classic script models I'm really bad at explaining this. This is Claire's shit. Listen, we just take a bunch of random shit.
0: I can help if you like. Thank you. Each of you brings a character, and by definition, then an archetype. So, you know, yes. your plucky hero, your monster with a heart of gold. One brings a setting, and then one brings. I forget, there was something else. From that live, you all craft a story. You're yes. like, okay, so Kirsten Schall is Godzilla's uh, empathy pet and has to, <laughs> has to take over from Pirate King Joey Tribbiani while being hunted <laughs> by Blanche from Golden Girls army of men boys.
1: <laughs> Lucas is so much better at the elevator pitch than I am. And yet I'm the promotions person on social media. So there we go. I don't know how that happened. Basically, if you like crossovers and all kinds of geek pop culture, you'll like smash fiction. So give us a chance. Take a chance on us.
0: I still wanted that Pirate Godzilla movie to be real. <laughs>
1: me too i really want to do collaboratory more so i can't i can't wait for that i'm glad it worked out great
0: all right kids. Okay, so thank you so much for coming on the show this has been yeah. fantastic i have no idea what i'm gonna title this because we went over so much stuff
1: <laughs> maybe that just do that as the title we went over way too much we can't <laughs> keep a topic for more than few seconds. Just- i
0: think it's gonna have to be like soul Calibur and fallout boy but it's just like i could just name it stuff and things <laughs> all <laughs> right it thanks is. for coming on
1: yeah thanks for having me
0: Thank you very much to Kit Mo'Karen for her time. For Kit's cocktail, she had very specific instructions. And I quote, I'm one of those people who hates the taste of alcohol but doesn't mind getting tipsy once in a while. If it's covered up well, tequila gets me tipsy land very quickly, so margaritas are a frequent go-to. I also love drinks rimmed with salt or sugar. Some of the alcohols I tend to enjoy more for flavor instead of time to tipsy are rums and creamy stuff like Bailey's. Mmm, cream. Besides creamy goodness, I love coconut-flavored drinks. And yes, I do like pina coladas. I kind of hate vodka, I'm a bad Russian, and I really hate hard liquor. Like, if it's considered manly, I probably hate it. Like brandy, whiskey, scotch, etc. You get me. Don't worry, Kit, I get you. And I've come up with a combination that's a bit of a Mai Tai, it's a bit of a margarita, it's a little bit of a pina colada, but it's all good. I call it the Cosmic Castaway. In a shaker full of ice, combine two ounces of tequila, half an ounce of lime juice, half an ounce of triple sec, a quarter ounce of simple syrup, and a quarter ounce of coconut syrup. Shake vigorously until the outside of the vessel frosts over, and then pour, without straining, into an old fashioned glass. Garnish with a lime wedge and any fruit you might have laying around. If you want to get really fancy, you can rim the edge of the glass in lime juice and dunk it into some sugar or salt. Behold this beverage, truly worthy of the King of Bob. Enjoy. Rocky like a man, a heed like a hammer, she's a jelly mouse, come, never was a critter. Tasting
1: like a raindrop,
0: she's got the work.
1: I'm a baby
0: bunker, she's got a number of things. around the kids, Miss a Carter, love Miss Wild Dog, she's got the luck. She's got the look. She's got the look. What in the world can make it about a good temper. When
1: anything I ever do, I do for you. And I go, la, la 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 la. She's got the look.
0: The Math of You is recorded in Leichhardt, New South Wales, Australia, and is written, hosted, and edited by yours truly, Lucas Brown. New episodes are released every Wednesday evening and if you'd like to be a guest in the show simply send an email to themathofyou at gmail.com and tell us what you'd like to talk about. You can follow the show on Twitter at themathofyou and you can follow my Wacky Adventures at Lokified, L-O-K-I-F-I-E-D on Twitter and Instagram and Lokiified82 on Snapchat. If you have a few dollars kicking around and would like to directly support the show you can go to patreon.com slash Lokiified and pledge as little as a dollar a month. Or you can pledge as much as you want. I'm going to keep banging this drum. You can pledge as much as you want. No one will stop you. Those who pledge get physical mail, cursive tweets, shoutouts on the show, and I would just really, really appreciate it. If you'd like to support Non-Monetarily, you can go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes in the country of your choice and leave a five-star rating or write a review. It helps people find the show, and if you write a review, I'll even read it out. Won't that be nice? If you like the music I play on the show, there's a Spotify playlist for that. You can go to bit.ly slash you with capitals at the beginning of each word to find a Spotify playlist going all the way back to episode one with every song I've ever used on the show, including this one. You guessed it, it's The Look by The Baseballs. Ah, they're such a good band. I update the playlist as soon as the episode goes live, so make sure you subscribe to get that new music in your ears. It's the episode that happened despite the universe and everything else desperately trying for it not to. I'll be talking to Jojo Seams about the adventures of Pete and Pete. Join me, won't you?
1: Oh, well, I'm going to apologize right now in advance because my breakfast consisted of some kind of protein shake that I think is going to give me, like, the sloppiest mouth sounds.
0: <laughs> I've learned that uh, certain food, like, because we'll make something and it will have some kind of, it'll be like Greek food with, like, some yogurt sauce or something in it or certain dressings. Like, Kimiko has this great, like, Japanese dressing that she makes which is, like, sesame and some other stuff. And But, it, yeah, you're right. It gives you
1: <laughs> the
0: <laughs> proper terrible mouth sounds.
1: I was just editing the last Smash Fiction, and I'm like, oh my god, all those noises are coming from me. Oh.
0: Like, everyone get off your mics. Wait, wait, I'm sorry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, Dan swears up and down. The green apples help keep that from happening. And now that I'm an editor, I'm gonna test it. I'm gonna find out. For real
0: sense. <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like there's a podcast called Appointment Television, and on a whim, they were joking about podcast juice which means that one of them has bourbon in a glass uh, with some ice in a straw, so there's no ice clinking. And I'm like, no, I can hear your ice clinking, Margaret. I know it's there. <laughs> At the time, I'd only just started editing my own podcast, but I'm like, I can hear it, and it hurts my soul. So I designed them a drink that was... Long enough that it would last an entire podcast. Had no ice because of how it would prepare it, and has no lemon, only a touch of lime because lemon clogs up your throat as well. Interesting. As I learned from that Saved by the Bell episode where they make Zach drink lemon juice before he has to go and sing, and he just like speaks gibberish for the whole time. Huh. Oh man! If it's on Saved by the Bell, it's gotta be true, right?
1: <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That's like basically Wikipedia.